Hello world! Welcome to the show. Today we have a show about Windows 11. I was about to say it in French, but you know, to keep me on track today, I have Christina with me. Hello, Christina. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you, Frank? Good. I was really about to say Windows owns instead of oh, Windows, Windows 11. Owns. I like it. I like it. I think that we should we should start doing everything. Uh, although, like French numbers after twenty get a little bit weird, but but uh, you know, like they don't make mathematical sense. But uh, at least, like from an English perspective, but but I like it. I, I like Windows owns. I like it. Wonderful. So today we have a lot of topic to cover. Uh, so who did you bring with uh, with you to talk about those? Yeah. So first, so we have uh, we have Michael uh, von Hippel who is here. Hey, Michael. Hey. Thanks for joining us. What are you going to be talking to us about? I'm going to be talking to you about the new Pen Haptics APIs. Fantastic. Oh. Yeah, so this was some stuff that was announced on the service event on um, uh, uh, Wednesday. Yesterday. So, yeah, yesterday. Yeah. Exactly. I don't even know what day it is. Yes. <laughs> not, not long ago. <laughs> Not long ago, yeah, no. So, so we're going to be talking about some of the the new pen stuff, and it's going to be really exciting. So this is some good stuff for developers if you want to learn about how to add um, um, the new um, haptic support to your apps. We've got lots of details about that. Wow. So that's going to be really to exciting. Yes. What else do you have with us today? Yeah, and we also have uh, Jason and uh, Brandon, guys. Hello. Hey. Hello. Howdy, howdy. So these are our Windows Insider guys. What are we going to be talking about, uh, Windows Insider Insiders? Uh, the latest Windows you know, 11 Insider Preview builds and you know just Windows 11 in general. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. Looking That's cool. And like why it's important for the developers, right? Oh, absolutely. That's correct. Yeah. Oh, excellent. OK. So do we have more people who help? Do we we do. We do. How, we, we do. We have even more. So um, uh, who else do we have? Because uh, you, you, you talked with some of these these folks um, earlier, I believe. So yeah, we've got... Um, <laughs> we have I'm, Dina uh, and Bridget. Yes, Dina and Bridget. Yes. Win SDK. What up? Dina hello, and Bridget, how are you? Hello. Hi, everyone. We're doing great. <laughs> you guys have been hard at work, right? Yep. <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to learn more about the uh, Windows. How do you call it? like the API? API is a pretty well, one. Yes, right? Windows App SDK is the project. And today we're going to be talking about the 1.0 Preview 1 and everything new in the project. So we're going to be sharing a lot that our customers can try right now. Wonderful. And another guest, also we have Christina, who will be doing a special edition of This Week on Channel 9. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, all about just Windows, Windows 11 stuff. You might even see some. Uh, I get a get a little bit of a shout out to some of the other things we're talking about today. But yeah, so just kind of there's so much Windows 11 news and so much fun stuff that I had oh to do. Oh my kind of a god, it will be so thing. fun. <laughs> so all along, all those experts will be in the chat. So that's your time to just say hello, how you love this stuff. So they they know why they work so hard. So tell them you like it, ask them your question. They will be there all along. If you don't see them on camera, they will be in the chat answering your question. So like, be chatty, everybody. <laughs> yeah, ask us questions. We're all super excited. Yeah, and like we, I just see right now the, the link of the show notes. So all the link will be mentioning a bunch of references and link and documentation and things. Everything will be in the show notes or in the description of the video, depending on where you're watching this video right now. 
But I think I think I think we should start right away, Christina. I think so. I think so. We've got a lot of show to get into. So first, Michael and I are going to have a chat about some of the stuff that was announced yesterday at uh, the Surface event. So, Michael, Wonderful. let's uh, let's chat. Yeah, take the floor. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Michael, thank you again for being here. Um, so tell us a little bit about like uh, what is your role at Microsoft? You're a program manager, and what what do you work on? Yeah, I work in Windows, and specifically, I work on Pen and display technologies. That's awesome. And so um, pen and display technologies, a bunch of that stuff was announced yesterday. And so we're specifically going to be talking about pen and inking. Now, I have to say, like, as I've been working from home and then the whole like last year and a half, I kind of developed an obsession for inking devices. I bought a bunch of e-ink tablets. I have a lot of uh, kind of an obsession with, you know, trying to have the most realistic like pen to paper experience possible. And it seems like some of the stuff that was announced yesterday is going to be completely up my alley, right? Absolutely. In uh, Windows 11, we're providing developers with APIs that allow them to incorporate tactile feedback into their code so that they can utilize the new capabilities of the Surface Slim Pen 2, which is an office piece of hardware. Referring yeah. back to uh, what I just said about tactile feedback, we call it tactile feedback because people already understand that feeling in their fingertips, like, like the bumps of Braille as you go over buttons on an elevator or the sensation of your lead from a pencil hitting the paper. And it's a really awesome way to create a new feeling for your users. Okay, so how is this different from the previous, um, and like I guess maybe even the current pen capabilities, what's different about this experience? So the thing is, it's completely new for us. Uh, this is a new capability for a pen, and it's enabled on particular devices that run Windows 11. Today, we'll be going through a sample app to give developers a sense of how they can use these APIs. No, that's really exciting. Um, so you're going to be um, showing us uh, uh, some demos, right, to show like how people can incorporate the, the new haptic and, and tactile stuff into their apps? Yeah, today we'll be walking through five demos where we walk you through how natural the pen feels against the screen and how users will be able to feel those interactions and, of course, how to be able to make use of those experiences in your application. So I want to make a quick note, though. Um, these APIs will use a more technical term than the tactile feedback I've been using before. We'll use the term haptics, which refers haptics. to the mechanism. Yeah, haptics which refers to the mechanism for playing those uh, signals. So in okay. the next demo, we'll be going through and we'll be using haptics. All right, let's go to the first demo. The first thing you see here is the standard ink canvas control. It's completely unmodified, and the great thing is that it provides haptic feedback for free for each of the built-in brushes. Here, I'm using the default pen, and I get a smooth, sturdy feeling, much like a ballpoint pen on paper. Now, as I'm doing my inking, it's also reacting to the velocity and the pressure that I'm applying on the screen to change the signal to better simulate what it actually feels like on paper. Now, when I switch to the pencil, I get something more scratchy, and it feels like a pencil on paper to me, which is pretty different from the pen that I just felt in the previous example. Lastly, I can switch to the highlighter, and here I get something smoother, like taking a real highlighter across paper. This one's really nice as you're doing these big, broad motions as if you'd be highlighting a bunch of text. These different feelings really combine to create a more intuitive inking experience, and I can't wait for all of you out there to get to experience them for yourself. Now let's take a look at the code for this. Here you can see my XAML, and all I've done here is add the default ink toolbar, 
and down below, the default ink canvas. And if we take a look at the code behind, you'll see there's absolutely no new code here required for haptics. All that I'm doing here is setting the size of my canvas. That's awesome. Okay, so that was just showing us how all apps are basically kind of going to get haptics uh, for free. But what about apps that might have their own custom inking experiences? Because I know that that's already uh, pretty common. So how do they add haptics to, to their experiences? Great question. We give developers the ability to detect if a pen device in code supports haptics. And then if so, what signals it supports so that they can select a signal and play it back. So that way you can set your desired haptic signal uh, or you know, waveform as we may call it and stop it eventually. In the next demo, we'll show you how to detect a pen device and then query its haptic capabilities so that you can figure out what experiences you want to turn on. All right, let's go to that demo. So here we have a simple demo that looks to see when a pen is in range and then determines what haptic features it supports. Here, you can see when I bring a supported pen in range, it outputs the various features that this pen supports. And if I bring a pen in range that doesn't support haptics, it tells me that as well. So how can you determine what a pen supports? To do this, you use the pen device object to get access to its simple haptics controller. Now I'll be doing this in the pointer entered event for my app's main canvas. And this is going to fire as soon as the pen is in hover range of the screen. In the event handler, the first thing I'm doing is checking to see if the current pointer device type is a pen. If not, I'll exit out. If it is, I then attempt to retrieve the pen device associated with that pointer event. Now this will only return a valid object for pens that provide advanced functionality, like either pen ID, or in this case, haptics. So again, if it's null, I'll exit out. Lastly, I then attempt to retrieve the pen device's simple haptics controller. And this is the last check that you'll do. If this is null, the pen does not support haptics, and again, I exit out. Now that we have the simple haptic controller, we can see what specific waveforms and features this pen supports. This is important because not every waveform and feature is required to be supported by every pen, which lowers the barrier of entry for pen manufacturers. However, we do enforce that two baseline waveforms are supported, ink continuous and click. These provide coverage for a large range of scenarios, which is why they're always required to be supported. The next couple of demos will show sending a desired waveform or falling back to one of these if it's not supported. But for now, we'll just query the capabilities to output what is supported on this pen. So to check if a waveform is supported, you iterate through the Simple Haptics Controller's supported feedback collection to see if the desired waveform is present. Here, I'm running through each of the possible waveforms and adding to my text string if it's there. In addition to waveforms, there are a handful of additional features that a pen may support. This demo will only show how to use the intensity feature, but here you can see how to query for each of these additional features. They include intensity, play count, play duration, and replay pause interval, and you can find more information about all of these in the API documentation. Very, very cool. Okay, so um, are these all of the waveform interactions or are there others as well? So some of the ones you saw enumerated in the if clause are, are going to be inking interactions. Specifically, we're going to be supporting the following waveforms. 
The first is ink, which, as we mentioned in the demo, is required to be supported on any haptic-capable inking hardware. And this is what we expect people to associate with the default pen feel. So if you're just adding like a ballpoint pen into your program, you want to have something for simple inking, go with ink. And definitely, in case there's other features that aren't supported, ink is a great fallback to make sure that you have that basic inking experience. The next is chisel marker, which you can really think of as a highlighter, kind of like a nice. squishier feeling. Nice, and then I like that. Also, yeah, yeah highlighter is really fun to use. There's also a pencil, which is one of these hero kind of interactions, brush, marker, and eraser. Which one is your favorite? My favorite's definitely pencil, just because it's been one of those really hard to uh, really hard to simulate kind of feelings. When you use a device and you have like your, your pen on your tablet and you don't have that kind of feedback, it kind of distances you. But once you have that feedback that's convincing, it's really awesome and engaging. Yeah, I can't wait to try it out. I can't wait to try it out. Um, I do have a question for you because this stuff is really awesome. Can any app take advantage of this? Like can a Win32 app uh, use um, haptics? Yes, you can use the pointer ID included in the WM pointer messages in order to get the pen device, which in turn lets you get access to the simple haptics controller, which is where you can make all the calls you need to. And, uh, and what about the apps built with the WinApp SDK? Yes, uh, as of the current WinApp SDK preview, yes. which you'll hear more about today, it allows you to access the pen device from a pointer point, which in turn lets you get access to the simple haptics controller, just like a Win32 app. Very, very cool. All right. Um, and um, uh, now you're going to uh, show us um, some, um, some other stuff about how, I guess, you can send and interact with, with signals back and forth between the waveforms, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, we'll be in this clip showing you how to send inking feedback. Now that you know how to enumerate it, determine what's supported. And remember, this feedback is designed to simulate all of the writing tools like pen, brush, pencil, and marker. So if you're doing your custom inking app, you'll want to pick the patterns that match your brushes best so that you can send haptic signals to them. We'll show this coming up. All right, let's take a look. In this demo, I have a dropdown that lets me choose what feedback I want. Now, a note for you watching, I won't actually be drawing ink in this box. Rather, I'm just using it as a place for me to put the pen down and have haptics get fired as I move it around. You'll see a message below the box indicating what feedback is being played. So now, when I touch my pen down in the box below, I begin to feel the proper haptic feedback. In this case, it's the ink continuous feedback, which corresponds to the ballpoint pen you saw in the first demo, and is one of the required waveforms that all pens must support. Now, I can choose the brush feedback, which gives me a silky soft feeling, like bristles sweeping underneath my pen. Lastly, I'll choose the marker, which feels velvety and bold, like a permanent marker. Now here, I also have a slider that lets me adjust the haptic intensity. Once this is set, I now feel a less intense version of the feedback. So now, let's see how you can manually invoke feedback like this in your app. Again, I'll be using the pointer entered event. First, I do that same check that you saw before to make sure that the pen supports haptics. Then, I have a little helper function to set the waveform based on what's currently selected in the dropdown. This attempts to set the waveform to what is currently in the dropdown by checking to see if the selected waveform is in the simple haptics controller supported feedback collection and then setting my selected waveform to it. Here, you can see the full set of possible inking waveforms. These are 
brush continuous, chisel marker continuous, eraser continuous, galaxy pen continuous, ink continuous, marker continuous, and pencil continuous. If the waveform was not supported, I instead set it to be ink continuous, which remember is guaranteed to be supported by every haptic enabled pen. Next, I check to see if the pen supports changing the intensity of the signal. If so, I call send haptic feedback, passing in the current waveform and the intensity value. If not, I simply call send haptic feedback without passing in the intensity value. Now, it's important to note that for inking feedback types, the feedback does not start once send haptic feedback is called. Rather, it will begin as soon as the pen tip touches the screen, and it will likewise stop once the pen is lifted. This is why this should be set on the pointer entered event rather than a pointer pressed event. Lastly, I look for the pointer exited event to call stop haptic feedback to ensure that the pen does not have a saved state, which could cause it to play haptics where I don't want it to the next time it comes in contact with the screen. This is really, really cool stuff. So now what about other experiences um, and, or, or interaction waveforms? What else can you do? Well, we have some other waveforms that are called interaction waveforms. And examples of these are success, error, hover, press, release. Um, but these make more sense in specific contexts. For the majority of short interactions, we really recommend using a waveform called click. And this one is really crucial to use because just like the ink waveform, the basic ink waveform that we use as a fallback, it's required to be supported on every haptic device. So we expect uh, our developers to use this one more frequently. And we're going to show you an example where we do just that. Let's take a look. Again, I've got a dropdown that lets me choose which waveform to send. However, this time, I have a button that plays the feedback when pressed. So now, every time I press the button, I'm getting a little click feedback. This is just a real nice little sensation coming into my hand to confirm that I've successfully pressed that button. Now I'll switch over to the error feedback. Here when I press the button, I'm getting this little double burst coming into my hand to really draw my attention to it and let me know that something may have gone wrong. And as with inking feedback, I can also adjust the intensity to get a different feel, as here the feedback now feels lighter in my hand. The code here is very similar to the inking feedback demo. Again, I'll be using the pointer entered event handler to make sure the pen supports haptics. I'll also be using the button's click event handler to trigger the haptic feedback on demand. So first, here's the exact same code you saw before for checking the haptic capabilities of the pen and getting me a handle of the simple haptics controller. Now, here in the click event handler is where I'll actually send the haptic signal. First, I check to make sure I have a valid haptics controller. Then, I again have a helper function to set the current waveform based on what's selected. Here, you can see the available interaction waveforms. These are click, error, hover, press, release, and success. Like the inking feedback demo, I make sure I can fall back to a waveform that's guaranteed to be supported. In this case, that's the click waveform. Next, I do the exact same call to send haptic feedback as in the previous demo. The only difference is that, since this is an interaction waveform, it gets played immediately versus when the pen tip hits the screen. 
Okay, I like this a lot. Now I have a question for you, Michael. So in that last demo, I'm only getting haptic feedback um, like when there is a pen input, but can I get, can I like trigger haptics even when I'm not, um, uh, you know, entering in any input? So this is a great point of clarification. The answer is no. Haptics is really closely connected to input and it shouldn't be triggered when it doesn't relate to something that's happening with your input. Okay, so like when should I be considering when to use haptics? You should be considering using haptics when you're directly responding to pen input. So inking, the obvious example we've already started with, but there's also interacting with controls. For example, if you click on a button with your pen, it's really natural to have a click response come from that pen right afterwards. Or when you move the pen to hover over an interactive object, like a 3D model. You can use the hover waveform. In this next demo, we'll tell you how you can transition between those two types of feedback that we just talked about. Okay, awesome. Let's, let's take a look. Here, I have a canvas with some grid lines drawn on it and a box. I can use my pen to drag the box around, and when I do so, I'm sending the ink continuous feedback as I'm dragging it, which starts at the same time as the box changes color. This is giving a really nice physical sensation as I move the box around. You'll also see that I get some previews that will allow me to snap the box to the grid lines. When the box enters into one of these snap zones, I get an additional buzz in the pen, coinciding with that preview visual being drawn. So here, I'm getting really nice constant feedback, but it's also paired with a noticeable bump every time I hit a new snap target. Finally, if I release the box and it snaps, I get another haptic buzz telling me that it's successfully snapped into place. In the interest of time, I won't jump into the code behind this, but it's really just combining the previous two examples together, along with some code to handle moving the box and some math to figure out the snapping behavior. If you want to explore the code yourself for this, or for any of the other demos, it'll be included in a new pen haptic sample going up on GitHub. Awesome, awesome. And I think actually you have like a URL where people can get the, the GitHub samples and the other information, right? Um, that's a... Uh... Uh, that's at aka.ms slash penhaptics, is that right? That's totally right, aka.ms slash penhaptics. Okay, and, and I, I want to bring Frank back in because we want to get to some community questions, but I did just want to ask real quickly, can I create my own waveforms? Great question, no. But if the pen supports it, you can adjust the intensity of the signal. So in the demo you just saw, that's exactly what we did. We gave the box being dragged a slightly different feel from the default inking feedback. And for interaction feedback, you can also adjust how many times it repeats and also the delay between firing to make sure that you have an exactly tweaked experience for your user. Very That's cool. super very cool. I was very impressed with like the, so it's immediate when you, when you change that intensity, like the feedback, like obviously you don't need to reboot. Like it's like you could change it as frequent as you want. Yeah, you just resubmit it. And because it's a continuous waveform in the case of like your, your inking feeling, you can change that more variable. Wonderful. That's super cool. Uh, so yeah, so let's meet you. There's a lot of activity in the chat. Uh, I'm not sure there's a lot of questions. People are just excited. A bunch of people already pre-order it. Uh, maybe like, uh, so how does, the, like, is it, how does that feel? Is it just like a vibration or like it's a, yeah, what does it feel like? We haven't touched it, so so you got to tell us. Like, what does it feel like? Well, I hope you're gonna get the device so that you can try it out and see what it feels like. Well, but, obviously, but that's like a week away. So I know in the in the remaining week, 
you can think about it as a feeling of friction, a smooth feeling, like a ballpoint pen or a slightly scratchier sensation, like a pencil. We have a lot of different waveforms, as I've enumerated, for different writing instruments. So the user may feel that kind of friction from the pencil, but they also may feel a slight bump that can reinforce visual on-screen feedback that an action has occurred or provide a more satisfaction, satisfying confirmation when visual feedback is impossible. That's awesome. That's super cool. Uh, did, did you find any question, uh, Christina? Trying to I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of looking here. Um, so I guess one of my questions would be like, can I, as the user, can I set, can I change kind of these intensity settings? Like, how does that work? Um, I, I, I assume there's like a system setting, and then um, like if I if I'm not happy with with the, uh, I guess maybe default haptic things, can I adjust that as as the user? That's a good question. Yeah, they're totally adjustable. So you can go into the Windows settings and set the overall intensity for haptics. And you can think of this just like you do the sound in your system. You can set the volume level on your computer. But then each application can still, you know, with the parameters that we've discussed, tailor their haptic sensitivity to be you know, under that uh, or up to it so that they can set the right level for their users. Okay. And that, that will be by user, right? So as Frank, like, have that experience. Yep, you have user control all the way through. That's awesome. awesome. Really cool. Yeah, because I'm, I'm assuming excited. some people or like maybe child will will want like you want something a little bit more, uh, you know, soft. I don't know. <laughs> I, it's, a, I don't know. it's a new interaction, and we'll see how people use it. Yeah, exactly. I just I, I just love it. I was watching when I was like, that's cool. Like the click thing. How many times like you click and did I click it? <laughs> You know, with like uh, your finger and stuff like that, and now having that feedback, that would just be like a regular button. But you know, it's super satisfying for sure. Yeah, it would be awesome. That's really cool. I see the time is flying. Uh, so, so people, where they again, they can go to learn more if you want to learn more about adding this stuff. It's aka.ms/penhaptics. That correct? Yes, and mm -hmm. like. Everything will be in the show notes. Everything will be in the show notes. But yes, everything will be in the show notes if you want to know that. But if, if you're like watching right now and you're super excited and you want to get to that SDK stuff and you want to look at those app samples, they're there. Thank you so much, Michael. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, all the demos. And I can't wait. I know Frank's excited too. So we're, we're super stoked. I am. I'm, for the full show, I am excited. I was dancing before the show. Um, but now it's time to bring our next guest, Christina. You want to introduce yes. them? Yes, so we were bringing our our insiders, our uh, our, our head nerds, our our uh, like, you know, our our, our our big fans. We were bringing in Brandon and Jason. What's up, guys? Hello. Howdy, howdy. Nerds guy, yeah. Hi. I mean, look, but I I mean that in a good way. Clearly, like I'm wearing a 20th anniversary like Xbox T-shirt, so oh. I can't talk, right? Like I have. I have Animal Crossing toys in the background, so it's good. <laughs> That's good. So uh, let's start with you, Jason. So do you want to introduce yourself? Say like what you do a little bit. And uh... yeah, so I'm Jason Howard, uh, senior program manager here at Microsoft on the Windows Insider Engineering team. Um, we've been doing this for a while since before even Windows 10 was launched. It was this new revolutionary way of trying to engage with end users who were passionate about Windows and wanted to share insights and perspectives as we worked on the development of the product along the way. Uh, the program's been around for, what, a week from now, we'll hit the seventh anniversary of the program, which is- Wow. It's, it's crazy to think it's been that long, but- Seven uh, years. Yeah, it's been an yeah. exciting journey. 
Awesome. And you, Brendan, you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, yeah, I, I'm Brandon LeBlanc. Uh, I am also a senior program manager uh, on the Windows Insider program team. Uh, I get to do a lot of the, the work to uh, write the content in all of the builds that we uh, release to the Windows Insiders. Wonderful. And uh, the three of us, we met a few days ago and uh, we record something. So let's watch this uh, discussion. So for our viewers, what's the Insider programs? So the Windows Insider program is the preview program uh, that is made available by Microsoft for folks who want to see us developing Windows pretty much in real time. If you look historically to old versions of Windows, so if you go back to Windows 8, 7, and even earlier, the development cycle was very in-house is probably the right way to say it where Microsoft would work on these builds, they would churn and iterate code internally. And then during the development cycles, which were much longer back at that point in time, uh, there would be a beta build released um, via disk or whatnot, kind of once in a while. Leading up to Windows 10, there was a big shift where we wanted to get user input during the development cycle. So rather than relying on one or two major builds to go getting that feedback, and then trying to incorporate those changes as the product was being finished, the idea was struck to try to bring users along for the journey to see the code changes and features showing up kind of almost in real time. There's a little bit of lag between a build being created and being shared, but to bring users along for the journey as we worked up towards a major release. This had a big impact for fans of Windows and especially on the side of enterprises, companies, corporations, as well as developers, because having access to the code as it was changing along the way, as it was coming forward, it allowed people to start integrating some of those changes into their workflows. So you can imagine a company that's trying to prepare for a deployment to 500 workstations, 1,000 workstations, or if you look at companies even the size of Microsoft, you know, 100,000 plus users, that's a pretty big impact when you're trying to deploy a new version of Windows. It's a lot to be prepared for. So the, the Insider program allows users to come in, to join, to see what we're developing along the way. And then one of the really core important things about the program, users still have a bit of control on what level of quality they're trying to see. The earlier in the build cycle that something is, the quality could be a little risky. Um, the closer it is to being a final product, or even if it's a preview of the current series of retail builds that are in market, the quality tends to be a lot higher. Uh, and you can, you can actually run those on some of your daily driven machines if you would like. Uh, jumping into the program is super simple. Um, you yeah, can visit we the website. To, to know a, a special handshake or something to, to get in? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, if you want to learn as much as you can about the program, uh, it'll be in the show notes, but insider.windows.com is the place to go and research. We have tons of information there. We also have some information out on docs, um, but you can actually join the program directly in your operating system. Uh, if you go open the settings app in Windows 10, go to Windows Update, and then navigate to the Windows Insider program, you'll see uh, a Get Started button there. You click that, uh, it'll actually take you through the registration process directly in your OS. You don't have to visit a separate website or anything. Uh, and then you just pick whichever channel you would like. There's a little bit of a descriptor between the three channels, which are dev, beta, 
and release preview. You select which one's going to meet the needs that you have, and then you can get started that way. Oh, super cool. And um, why should developer join that thing? Like just to, to know the bits in advance and start working or there's... Yeah, so I, I hinted about this, uh, you know, at this a little bit, but really everybody wants a roadmap. Everybody needs lead time to develop and build things that are going to land well with their end users. And as a developer, you need to be able to plan, know your timelines, understand what's coming. And if there are cool features that are going to show up in the Windows operating yeah. system, and if there are new APIs that are going to be integrated, what better way to get a head start on whatever's going to be the next iteration of your program software or whatnot than to see what's coming next. And that way you can actually potentially even run your own preview of your own app based upon these changes that are coming. And it'll help you understand if you're hitting the mark with your own user base. I like that. I like that. And uh, does Windows 11 provide any tooling to help developers to make cool app on, on Windows 11? Well, we actually have a really cool app that I highly recommend for developers to check out, and that is the XAML Controls Gallery app. It's in the Microsoft Store, available for anyone to check out. It's been updated for Windows 11, and it gives you all kinds of really cool controls that you can put into your app to make it look really great on Windows 11. My favorite uh, is the acrylic effect. Adding acrylic effect into your app will allow it to naturally look really, really nice in Windows 11 because Windows 11 has a lot of the acrylic mica effects throughout the OS. And so to make it look like a you know, fitting right at home uh, in Windows 11, you can use this app to get that code and they provide examples to a various uh, different controls throughout the app, uh, even for like navigation. If you want to add navigation into your app, you can check this out. I highly recommend this app. Um, we will include a link um, to the app directly uh, that you can download directly into the Microsoft Store in the show notes. But uh, this will be a really great way to get started uh, updating and at making your app look great on Windows 11. Oh, wonderful, super interesting. And that that's included inside Windows 11 or I need to install? No, you said you said I need to install it, right? You have from to install it, yeah. It's not included in Windows 11. You have to install it from the store. But um, but yeah, it's uh, and it's free. Anyone can download it. Um, you can even use it uh, and download it on uh, Windows 10 if you just wanted to get a preview there. Um, but on Windows 11, this app really looks really great. Awesome. And it will help you make your apps look great on Windows 11. That's great. So now I know I could have like the greatest and latest even before the final release. So start working, learning, see if the new API, the new look can be useful in my app today. Mm -hmm. That's really nice. Well, thank you for all your share. That was cool. I like it. That's I, I'm so part good. of Windows Insider's program. Like I have Windows 11 now on my on my laptop. Not all my machine because mm. you know, like I want to make sure you know I can try yep. it, and I love it. It's really nice. Uh, I have a really good question in the chat. Uh, let me find it back. I should have. Uh, oh, you know what? I I, I pasted here. So from uh, Alander, who was was asking, uh, is there? Once you're in the inside program, maybe you need to roll back for any kind of reason. Is there a secure way to get out of it? Yeah, so it very much depends on which channel you have selected within the program. So on the dev channel, 
because that is the forward-looking series of builds, it's things that we're working on for potentially the next release of Windows. Um, there is no, what I would say, easy way to jump back to a retail build. So if you're in the dev channel, you would have to do a clean install to actually return back. You'd use the media creation tool, whatever's the most recent build published there, to put a retail build back on your device and then opt about which path you would like to take forward. If you're in the beta channel, uh, you can roll back to a previous build. Um, if you're one build in, if you've just joined the program, you decide, hey, this might not be quite what I'm looking for. As long as it's within the first 10 days, you can roll back. You should not be a problem. Uh, it'll bring you back to the build that you were on before. There's also a little toggle. Like if you say, hey, I'm okay with preview builds, but the next time we hit an, what we call an official release, I'm not sure if I want to keep going on this train. There is a toggle within within the insider settings that you can select and it will automatically put you on the retail train and stop the preview builds from that point forward. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag depending on how you entered the program and which channel you selected. That's awesome. That's really, really convenient to be able even just to, I'm staying in, but just like I need a little bit less like, uh, yep. you know, Alpha, <laughs> whatever. It's, it's it's helpful because right at the start of any development cycle, um, you know, the quality it you know it wavers a little bit as we're trying to get our feet underneath us with some of the the new underlying core that shows up, and so that's especially where that button comes in handy if you're like, hey, I know we're going to be developing something for six months, eight months, a year. Maybe I don't necessarily want the risk for the first month or two, but I'll join back in later. That's totally an option. A user is in full control of their own destiny. Wonderful. That's great. What? How, how do you do? You recommend that people like um, like set it up in a VM? Like, how do you personally? I guess. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming both of you probably yeah. want run insiders builds all the time, and and even like faster internal builds. But how would mm. you recommend? Like, if somebody if they're not quite sure, like, should they use a VM to do it? Like, what what would you say if, if they just want to kind of test things out? Yeah, it's, since the inception of the program, we had always highly recommended folks run it on a secondary device if they have one. Um, the, the quality has gotten a lot better over the course of time, right? You can imagine, you know, from the inception of an OS version till, you know, it actually releases. And then, of course, it changes over the course of time. Um, I, I run the preview builds on my daily driven machine, right? Even the, the one that I'm, you know, connected to the Internet with right now, I'm speaking to you on. It's on preview builds. Um, and it's not just because it's my job to do as part of the insider program. I love it. I love seeing what's coming next. And when the bugs hit, you know, just kind of work around them. Uh, VMs are an option. Uh, you can always set up and plug in that way if you would like. If you don't have a secondary device, uh, just, you know, set up a hypervisor instance, roll that way. It's totally, uh, it's, it's totally up to the end user, right? Um, I will say I have, think I have probably six different computers sitting here on my desk. Uh, at home, and only one of them is not running a preview build, um, <laughs> and it's because I have to know what's what's happening in the actual. Well, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you need to actually know like the real thing, right? Like you can't just have yeah. like everything. You're like, wait, what? Cause somebody asked you a question, you're like, wait, no, we fixed that, and you're like, oh no, wait, we didn't. That's that's coming. Well, it, that's coming. I, I will throw one more thing in here. It's really tricky sometimes knowing what's in the hands of users versus the things that we're seeing because some of the code flow that ends up on our devices. You know, we may have it, you know, like I mentioned before, six, eight months, maybe even a year before it lands in the retail space. So it almost feels like I'm disconnected from reality sometimes. <laughs> so I have to keep a device to the side to be like, this is what everybody in general has. And this is what folks in the program have. I mean, I, I don't have a, I don't have a single PC that's not running Windows 11. 
so they're I guess technically running all insider preview builds right now. So Brandon's all into the future, all the way. He's, he's, yeah, Brandon's living in Australia full time, right? Yeah. Like. yeah. <laughs> I actually don't think I have a single device that's running um, a final release, whether it's an Xbox or a phone. So that's me <laughs> walking, walking the talk, walking. Yeah. Walking the talk. That's good. I, like, I mean, and like, there's different levels. So like, depending on like how that machine is, uh, you know, you can spare it for a few days if there's a, like it's a preview, right? So depending mm -hmm. on, you know, the importance of that device, you could define how preview you want your build. That's well, cool. we have different channels in the Windows Insider program based ex exactly on that thing, where if you're more comfortable on a more stable release, we have the beta and release preview channels. But if you're someone like me who likes to just dive right into the latest and greatest and is okay with some instability, you know, we have the dev channel. Wonderful. Well, thank you, Jason, Brendan. I will send you back to the chat. Share the links you have so people can uh, provide feedback. Because yep. now it's time for Christina to shine with that special edition of This Week on Channel 9. Yes, hello. And uh, I do a, a segment. Um, we're actually going to be doing a little bit of a rebrand. So stay tuned to our YouTube channel, Microsoft Developer, um, to, to see the show coming back. But I've been doing a show for the last, like, God, almost four years uh, called This Week on Channel 9, where we go over kind of the latest tech news and um, events from a developer's perspective. And um, this week, I thought that it would be just really good to just focus on the Windows 11 extravaganza because we're like a week away from uh, Windows 11 coming out. And we had, you know, uh, Michael talking with us about the, the haptic stuff. And we had Jason and um, uh, Ben talking to us about the Insider program. And we're going to have even more stuff uh, coming up, talking about some of the, the WinApp SD stuff. So let's just kind of get into some of the big things that I've been seeing over the last few weeks. And actually, in some cases, the last couple of months are uh, that have me really excited about uh, Windows 11. So the first thing, this is one of my favorite things. So out of the box in Windows 11, Windows Terminal is pre-installed, which is awesome. So it, in the past, you've had to go to the, the Microsoft Store, you've had to go to um, like, you know, the GitHub to be able to get it. But now you it's, it's pre-installed. So you can uh, Windows uh, Terminal is installed out of the box. And because of that, they've actually made it even easier to enable uh, Windows Subsystem for Linux or WSL2 within Windows 11. You just have to type in WSL dash dash install in, in whatever command prompt you want, and it installs it. But uh, uh, How To Geek actually wrote a really nice um, uh, link about that. So I've got a link to that in the show notes in the description. But I really like that both Windows Terminal and WSL2 are installed uh, by, uh, uh, well, it's easier to install WSL2, I guess I should say, and, uh, and, and Windows Terminal is installed by default. So that's really good stuff. And kind of on that same note, one of my favorite things, um, and this is a power user feature, it's called Power Toys. This has been around, it came out, I think, in, in 2019, I want to say, and it's uh, uh, my, uh, our, our good friend Clint um, and, and the rest of that team, they do really good work on this where these are kind of power user features it's developed in open source it's all on github they have things like a, a like a you know a, a command space kind of a style launcher which is like a mac os thing but you can press like a, you know um, alt space in um in windows and pull up kind of a search bar to easily launch things there's also some uh, easier renamers um, there's a bunch of stuff in terms of uh, like, there's a color picker there's stuff in terms of doing better kind of window management stuff some of which actually made its way into windows 11 uh, but the Power Toys now in with, with Windows 11 in the Microsoft Store, you can download it directly 
from the from the Microsoft Store, which is awesome. In the past, again, you had to go to GitHub. You could have also used WinGet, which is the the Windows Package Manager, which is also pre-installed with uh with Windows 11. Um, but now Power Toys is available in the Microsoft Store and Windows 11. That's awesome. If you haven't used Power Toys, definitely check it out. They're adding new stuff all the time and adding refinements based on feedback. And like I said, it's developed open source. It's really good stuff. The next thing I wanted to talk about, this isn't strictly Windows 11 because obviously it'll work with past versions of Windows, it'll work on Linux, it'll work on Mac OS, but the uh, .NET 6 uh, release candidate one what uh, was released uh, this, uh, I guess, last week. Um, and so this is a big deal because uh, uh, .NET 6 is kind of this big kind of long-term servicing kind of unifying release. So, you know, .NET 5 was kind of bringing all the different disparate parts of, of .NET together. .NET 6 is going to do that, but it's also going to be a longer term servicing release. So this is a big deal for a lot of developers and the release candidate is out now and that means their binary is available for the various platforms. So that's really good stuff. And on that same uh, kind of you know, speaking developer note, again, this isn't strictly Windows 11, but in um, uh, you know, since a, a lot of developers watch this, and this is certainly you can use Visual Studio in Windows 11, you can now have uh, community themes within uh, Visual Studio. So people, uh, we've seen this in Visual Studio code for a really long time, and, and even before that in past text editors and stuff where people have created their own customized color themes. And so now that is actually coming to you know, the big dog, you know, the, the, the granddaddy IDE. So I like that a lot as somebody who likes to customize what my workflow looks like and have certain color settings. I like that the community uh, themes are now available and um, you can submit your own and you can see what other people have done. So that's really good. And uh, we're going to be talking more about this uh, uh, with uh, with Bridget and Dina a little bit later. But I just wanted to call out that like the WinUI three, which again really kind of big um, big release, is is part of the WinApp SDK Preview one. We're going to be talking more about the WinApp, WinApp SDK uh, Preview one a little bit later. But I just wanted to, to to give this a shout out. This came out last week, and the team has put so much work into this, and so this is something to definitely check out. Uh, it's not just Windows 11 specific, obviously, but it will have a lot of features that will be usable in Windows 11. And then um, I also wanted to talk about, I, that is the wrong title. I don't know why it says e-ink tablets. I clearly didn't type that incorrectly, but package source mapping, um, this is a new NuGet feature. This is actually really cool because what's, uh, nice about this is a lot of times like when you have package sources and, and you're getting them from various repositories, sometimes what happens is they can be hijacked uh, by uh, ne'er-do-wells. Sometimes people, um, there are other security considerations. Sometimes things go, you know, like haywire. And so having a mapping to directly where these things are from and, and where their basis is, is going to be a really good thing, I think, for security auditing and for people when they're really kind of thinking about like where do their packages come from. And as more and more dependencies, uh, you know, projects are dependent on other things and you can like go into dependency hell. I think having like a good way of being able to map where that source is coming from is a really, really good thing. So wanted to uh, to give that a note. And finally, my pick of the week, I had to do it, uh, the Surface event yesterday, the uh, the Surface um, uh, Studio uh, uh, laptop is just a laptop, Surface Laptop Studio looks amazing. There's also the new uh, Slim Pen 2. There's a new Surface Pro 8. There's like so much stuff that was announced, but uh, I want it all. I don't have the money for all of it, but I definitely want all the toys. So shout out to the Surface team for all their work on that. I'm really excited. And uh, now back to you, Frank. A lot of news. I like it. But now yes. it's time to continue with uh, Bridget and Dina that will talk Tell us more about that new SDK preview. Looking forward to it. But first, 
Uh, let's say, Dina, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Absolutely. So I'm Dina Iman. I'm a program manager at the Windows App SDK project. If you guys are new to it, the Windows App SDK is a set of new developer components and tools that represent the next evolution in the, in the Windows App development platform. And today we're going to show you a little bit about what's new in the project. Wonderful. And uh, with you, you have Bridget is here. Do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Bridget Tuppers, um, and I'm also a program manager on the WinFSDK. Wonderful. So you know what? Let's watch right right now the the presentation, and we'll take the question just after. Today, we're going to talk to you about Windows App SDK and what's new in the 1.0 Preview One. The 1.0 Preview One is now life, and it's an awesome opportunity for our customers to try it out and provide us feedback. We really want to hear from you and how we can make your life easier. So today we're going to walk you through the app instance APIs and the app window APIs and that. And before you know it, 1.0 release is going to be coming up so soon. So stay tuned for that. So let's get to it. The app instance API. So previously, to redirect activation, you would have to use mutex and named pipe. And frankly, it was a little bit complicated to do that. But now with App Instance API, you can redirect activation easily. And those APIs are now capable from C Sharp apps in Preview One and allows you to easily redirect activation. So let me show you how that looks like in code. Before App Instance API, redirected activation used to look like that. We would have to use mutex and named pipes. And as you can see, it's a little bit of code. And that is only for you to create a single instance activation path that you want. For receiving redirected activation, you would have to set up the name pipe server to wait for the event on activation. And you, as you can see, it's just so much code from what I'm about to show you right now. Right now, the App Instance API, that's to redirect activation, uh, life is a lot easier. And you can set up the App Lifecycle API in the Windows App SDK to use the App Instance and redirect the current instance if the app is running. And the code is a lot simpler. Now, with App Instance API, to receive redirected activation, if the app is running, you can use those same APIs to grab activation and direct it to the current running instance. And with that, I'm going to hand it off to Bridget to show you what else is new in 1.0 Preview 1. So off to you, Bridget. Thank you. Another new feature in Preview 1 is the App Window APIs. They're for managing windows and include methods to make your window full screen or use compact overlay. Here we'll use the term app window to refer to, refer to both window, the windowing platform itself and the specific API class. App window is a WinRT layer on top of user 32, intended to create an equivalent ease of use as UWP app window that is aligned with the Win32 programming model. App window is not WinUI APIs. The app window is a framework is framework agnostic and can be leveraged by UI frameworks themselves. However, UI Frameworks window object is still the core windowing object. 
app window allows you to leverage windowing features that are not yet included in your UI framework's own API set. Apps that do not rely on a UI framework can also leverage app window to, re to reap the benefits of less code while making sure their windows align with Windows system UX. So what is it we're shipping in version one? It's all about interop and giving you the ability to get app window for your existing windows created by the UI framework of your choosing or from user 32 APIs. To facilitate this, we provide helper methods that allow you to translate between different layers of the stack and from one object to another. Using this pattern tightly couples app window from the framework window object in a way that if you change one, the other will change too. Think of it as operating on the same HWND because that's really what's happening. Once you have an app window, we provide properties, methods, and events for the basic windowing scenarios. We provide a set of configuration options to help style your window while maintaining compatibility with Windows system UX policies and functionality. For example, when using the app window APIs to configure the style of your window, we make sure that the rounded corners and snap layouts always appear as expected to the user. Speaking of styling your window, one of the big value props of using the windowing APIs is that it allows you to easily customize and brand your window, including the non-client area. In version one, we provide a title bar API that allows you to color customize your window without having to write any non-client area code yourself. And if you create a completely customized title bar using the app window APIs, the platform is still in control of rendering the caption controls and the border of your window, thus guaranteeing that the rounded corners and snap flyout remains. That was awesome. I was reading the chat and answering. That was super cool. I have one question. I'm not sure I saw it, but that's totally for me. Uh, I would like, oh, first, uh, I want to introduce, we also have with us uh, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. Hi. I will help also with uh, more question. And I think that question will be for you. So I'm a C-sharp developer, so I feel like what the what we saw on the screen was C-sharp, but is there any other languages supported? Yes, so we support C Sharp and C++, and we're working on Rust support, too. Oh, um, cool. But I saw Dark Gamer asked about JavaScript support. So there's something called WebView 2, which is supported with the Windows app SDK and WinUI 3. And that allows you to run web code, HTML, JavaScript. And then you can call out into some platform code, too. But you'll have to use C Sharp or C++ plus plus to call that platform code. Okay, that's cool. So if we want to stay up to date, so is there a place for a roadmap or something like that where we can follow the news? Yep, our roadmap is on GitHub and it's uh, pretty open and transparent. We always keep our customers updated with what's um, new. So you can see that on the GitHub and we'll put the link in the chat. Yeah, but Frank, I want to bring something else that a lot of our customer have been asking us, which is the NuGet packages. Like everyone has been asking, like, what's going on with all those NuGet packages? Do you need them all? But based on the feedback, we've been um, changing that. So you only need one um, with the 1.0 preview one. So, so excited for our customers to try that out and give us feedback. But 
you only need one nougat package and a 1.0 preview one release one to to rule them all is it like that in the yep. Lord of the ring <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> i needed a geek reference some, somewhere <laughs> in the show right do you have any question that you found uh juliet uh not juliet uh christina you can call me Juliet. That's fine. Juliet's amazing. I'm trying to. I'm, I'm just trying to kind of kind of look through here. There's um, a lot of good stuff. Uh, people are really excited about Rust support. So uh, as am I. That's um, that's really excited. Oh, this is a good one. What are the implications um, of, for uh, I guess with this stuff with WinForms and .NET? Yeah, that's an excellent question. So the Windows app SDK is built specifically for desktop developers, like WinForms developers and WPF developers. We're trying to bring the latest innovations like modern UI and modern platform features to existing apps like WinForms and WPF. So you can use the Windows app SDK incrementally in your .NET 5 WinForms app. That's super cool. That is super cool. Uh, yeah. I'm just trying to find more. So we have languages. We covered that. The roadmap. Uh, so that was latest update. Did we... Did we have something more. The latest update will be would be the the NuGet package. You having like that's kind of the the newest thing, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. That's, that's really, really exciting. Nice. So uh, and before it was called Project Reunion, but now it's it's a new name, right? Right. Yeah. So we changed the name. It was previously called Project Reunion. Okay, so it's the same same thing. It's just like a rename of the project. It's not like a something yep. parallel. But so you know, because you start a project, it's a prototype, so you give it a, a name okay. and then like it evolve and then now you need to maintain it, like you change the name for something more serious or whatever. That's cool. Okay, excellent. You know what? I see the time flying and uh, we should bring everybody back, everybody come back to the to the screen. Bring them all. Oh, just big prank. Yeah, cool. Like that. <laughs> uh, that was uh, awesome. Magic. Yeah. Ta -da. Thank you for Jason. And, and like in the background, just like, and Juliet, she's there um, in the chat and everything. So big thanks. All of those people, they share all the links. They will be in the show notes, the link that you see pop right now in the bottom of your screen. Uh, you can find them also online, uh, on Twitter, on LinkedIn. They share also the, the way there's links to provide feedback. So if you did try the SDK, you think you have some uh, good feedback, uh, please, I'm sure they will be really happy to hear it. Uh, and with that, I would say uh, have a good day, and I will see you in the next episode of Hello World. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> Thanks.